Hello and welcome to the animal and the machine. And that's us, both parts. So hi all. Sorry for the delay since the previous. I am committed to this, but it's my family first and that includes things that actually provide an income. If you want to help with the income question, then please find me on Patreon under the animal and the machine and please join the Philosopher's Club. It's early days, so I'm still getting established, but if you do, I'm sure I'll say hi. So today's is a response to Adrius, otherwise known as Math for Wisdom on Mathedon, asked me to talk about negotiation, in particularly about peace in Ukraine. So, off we go. This whole podcast is about the animal and machine, both of which is us. The nutshell version of what this is, is that we are a product of our evolution, and the key to all answers is in understanding ourselves. In that, we need to realise that our intelligence is something special, and so recent that we can regard it as a separate thing. It is the machine. It is the thing that is awake, and yet it's built on the animal, the thing that feels joy. And if you want joy, then you need to tap into the animal to literally smell the coffee and watch the sunset, but it's the machine that asks the questions. If you want to know more than see my previous, although it won't sound like this as I'm still finding my voice in this process, and I've been thinking a lot about how I can make this interesting for you, and I realise that I need to talk to the animal, not the machine. I need to address machine topics with the animal viewpoint. So for this, I'm going to tap into a bit of righteous anger. I am on Mastodon, where I am Tatam, that's T-A-A-T-M, at maths.todon.xyz we'll see if you prefer because yes i'm british on there maths for wisdom asked me to talk about peace in ukraine and the future and i will do so i will start the majority with peace in ukraine which i also want to broadly cover negotiation warning this contains some bleeped swears so first let's cut the bull lots of negotiation ideals start with the now which does kind of make sense as we're in there now, but it's wrong. It is wrong because negotiation is done by humans that draw their own starting points, and their motivation starts from there. Now, people like Latin and ancient Greeks, so I'm going to call the position people need to understand their proto-position. So let's use an analogy. Ukraine is our house. Russia soldiers have stormed in, took over your front room and killed your goldfish. And then they start to go upstairs, but as they are drunk on vodka, they fall over and get stuck. And that's where we are now. From this point, some negotiation models, based on logic, say that we need to rationally work out who has what and find common ground for the other side. There are many things you can see are obviously wrong with this. The first is your obvious reaction, and this is where the human factor comes in. You are not logically thinking about finding common ground with them and working out what is a mutually acceptable outcome. Maybe giving over the land of our front room, perhaps. Now, your reaction, which is the correct one, would be, Get the fuck out of my house! So, using the technique of reducio ad absurdum, which is Latin for reduction to absurdity, we can see how models looking to find common ground, to find empathy, and start from now, continually fail. Negotiations happen over time, so if your opponent is using this model, all you need to do to defeat it is to keep resetting it, i.e. keep taking ground. 
If you keep looking for common ground and I keep making it, then I'm going to keep winning it. To be honest, there is a clue in the metaphor there. The phrase itself is taken from all negotiation, find common ground. Now, no ground that is in the Ukraine can be common. It's Ukrainian. As long as Russian troops are here, the response is only, fuck you, Russia. If I kicked your front room in and took over your front room, what would you do? Some misguided people think that Ukraine is against finding peace, as they won't give up part of the house, which is clearly not true. Ukraine wants peace. Putin, I mean Russia, wants war. Ukraine would agree to peace right now, providing Russia called them and said stop firing and we'll leave all your territory. I mean, how could you say Russia isn't the problem here? They literally invaded. So the first route to peace is to give Ukraine their proto-position. And the second route is for Ukraine to win back their proto-position. And they will. Undoubtedly. Now I sound confident, but I'll give you my reasons shortly. Now items of mutual benefit can be negotiated, or more accurately traded. There are two elements currently agreed on by both sides, and that is they are both armies, and they can do prisoner swaps. Now the reasons why this swap is different. Ukraine value every life and wants their people back and relatively safe in the Ukraine. Whereas Russia values every life, it can throw back at Ukraine as cannon fodder. Nonetheless, they want their people and they will trade them. But that first point about armies. Clausewitz once said war is mere continuation of policy by other means. And this is famous because it's true. I could dive into what civility is here, but that's a massive topic in itself. So let's look at civilizations at war. We have two opposing ideologies, that is to say the people. Every soldier believe the reason to fight, which in Ukraine's side is for freedom and democracy. Now, if this army of freedom were to begin to lose, they would disintegrate as an army, but they wouldn't lose the ideology. The fight is real, and parts of them would break off and keep fighting. As the Russian dictatorship would control the civilian streets, the Ukrainian army would have to go into hiding and become what Russia would call a terrorist cell. Here, they would not be recognised as army, because Russia no longer needs to. That's never going to happen though, but that's your example. Now, the genuine truth is Ukraine can't actually lose this war, and I do state that as a fact. So why would they even negotiate? Or why do people negotiate? Well, it's when both sides gain from the trade, and peace is a trade deal. You know, the agreement to not rapidly export the front end of bullets into enemy assets. So to continue this, we're going to need to understand the psychology of what's going on here. So you need someone with a clue. <coughs> yep, that's me. And you're probably wondering how I got into this situation. Well, Russia has the KGB... <coughs> Sorry, had the KGB, as communism is bollocks, it fell. People want freedom, and they made an attempt at democracy in Russia. And obviously in that process, the KGB rebranded itself as the FSB, because, you know, KGB are the bad guys. But the KGB, sorry, the FSB, realised that if it wanted total power, then it just needed to take over the government. Because the army of a democracy is the servant of the government. And after some internal knife fighting, probably, Putin, the dictator, emerged. Now, the psychology of most dictators is psychopathic narcissism and the deluded strongman ideology. They also think capitalist democracies are weak, which is a massive mistake. You see, democracies like to sell their righteous ideology about equality and protecting the innocent. But time and time again, dictators move in on the weak and Western powers do nothing. Worse, they often put a red line down, a do not cross. You shall not pass! And when a dictator crosses it, like the hammering of civilians in Syria and the invasion of Crimea, the West does not respond. The dictators are emboldened by the success, and they declare democracies as weak. The interesting thing is how most people, politicians and dictators seem to have bought into the righteousness. Sadly, a lot of it, though, is bullshit. You see, the dictator's conclusion is the West wanted to do the things, but was too weak to do so. Yet the sad truth is that the West only thought it wanted to do these things. You know, like joining a gym, but when it actually came to exercising it, it found it didn't want to do it. 
See, the West isn't weak. Quite often, though, it just doesn't care. Now that is a sad but honest truth. Most of this is desire not to spend money. There will also be a double chunk of racism in there for places like Syria that is not white, multiplied by a not Christian. The cold honest truth is at a government level, the West simply doesn't care. It didn't care about Russia invading Crimea. Post-Crimea invasion, however, Ukraine did something amazing. It held on strongly to the European dream, becoming a democracy, modern, technologically forward, and flourishing. It also elected a living legend, a veritable hero, someone who even voiced one of the greatest films of all time, Paddington 2. Vladimir Zelensky, a man with a clear exit, but who stayed. He voiced Ukraine in Europe and won our hearts. But I'm getting ahead. Putin, deploying the Soviet playbook, has sold oil and gas to Europe, trying to turn it into an addict. That will allow whatever, just as long as you keep giving it gas and oil. If the lights go out, the economy fails, and the politicians fail and won't get elected again. Also in the Soviet playbook is the spending of money to disrupt anything that weakens the leverage. Putin has probably spent billions on climate denial. You know, killing the kids' future with support for the all-sellers lie that where there is fire, there is no smoke. Like seriously, you burn carbon with oxygen and deny carbon dioxide? Unbelievable. Or at least it should be. Now, this isn't all Putin, but he definitely has been pushing it with billions. And the third Soviet play, which is a doozy, is when the weaker divide your opponents and have them fight amongst themselves. Now, you'll need to look this up yourself, but I personally am in no doubt that there is Russian money behind the right wing in the US and Europe. And there probably was some somewhere on the Brexit campaign in Europe. Well, that's true or not, fight amongst yourselves, please. Putin also looked to Finland, which he thought he told not to join NATO, and that they listened, because they're scared of Russia. So scared that it keeps more than a quarter of a million soldiers on standby. Now, the exact opposite is true. Finland didn't join NATO because it's smart and won't invite war when it can be avoided. And it's not scared of Russia, because it has over a quarter of a million soldiers in reserve. Russian thinking was definitely deluded. So let's get back to the story. So if you look at European gas prices in autumn, or if you prefer the fall of 2021, they are starting to go up, as the oil and gas reserves are somehow lower than expected. And markets thinking, that's okay, we'll price, we'll price up a bit as, you know, there's be a little bit of higher demand, but not too much, because I'm sure we'll get those reserves ahead of winter, except report after reports that those reserves were somehow not going up. Now, this is the whole of Europe we're talking about. Mass storage across so many very different companies in so many different countries under so many different jurisdictions. This is not demand side. At the end of 2021, I predicted Russia was going to invade Ukraine, you know, the rest of it in the new year. Now, I hadn't remembered it was Olympic year, and this time it happened to be run by China. China doesn't like to be embarrassed, and they are the only potential real ally that Russia could hope to gain. So it did become obvious that Russia would hold off their invasion plans until after the Olympics. The Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics ended on the 20th of February, and on the 24th of February, Ukraine was under full invasion. Due to swampy lands, roads were used to send in the Russian columns, but they didn't account for the smartest fighting force in the world, the Ukrainians. Also, although limited in response following the invasion of Crimea, the UK and US had not quite sat idly. The UK packed the Ukrainian army with MLAW tank killers, and the US gave them javelins. And both also gave the train to use them. Now, these are actually complementary NATO-powered tank killers in the hands of a highly skilled and motivated Ukrainian army. Ukraine held. Kiev remains in Ukrainian hands, as Tim Mann put it. You should look him up as well. Consider supporting him. Now he's gone independent. It was at this point I knew Ukraine cannot lose. You see, Zelensky stayed and became a legend. He broadcasts from Kiev every day. It was amazing. Europe was impressed. Europe wanted to claim this amazing country. And Europe also remembered the Soviets. Now on a slight diversion, Ian M. Banks' first culture novel, at the end, spoiler horn, 
describes in fiction where Europe is. The words have stayed with me, and it was also part of the key mindset about how I concluded Ukraine wasn't going to lose. I'm going to read it to you, and I encourage you to buy Ian's book, so please do. And I hope he doesn't mind me reading this to you, but it is amazing. It's a brilliant observation of humanity. Here we go. Faced with a religiously inspired society determined to extend its influence over every technological inferior civilization in its path, regardless of either the initial toll of conquest or the subsequent attrition of occupation, contact, that's the military component of the culture here, you can read in Europe, could either disengage and admit defeat, so given the lie not simply to its own reason for existence, but the only justificatory action which allowed the pampered, self-consciously fortunate people of the culture, Europe, to enjoy their lives with a clear conscience. Or it could fight. Having prepared and steeled itself and popular opinion through decades of the former, it resorted eventually, inevitably, like virtually any organism whose existence is threatened, to the latter. For all the culture, Europe's profoundly materialist and utilitarian outlook, the fact that Ida, read Russia, had no designs on any physical part of Europe itself was irrelevant, indirectly, but definitively and mortally, the culture, Europe, was threatened, not with conquest or loss of life, craft, resource or territory, but with something more important, the loss of its purpose and the clarity of conscience, the destruction of its spirit, the surrender of its soul. Despite all appearances to the contrary, the culture, Europe, not the Adurans, Russia, had to fight, and in that necessity of desperation eventually gathered a strength which, if any real doubt had been entertained as to the eventual result, could brook no compromise. Now I know obviously he wasn't talking about Europe when he wrote this, but that is the heart of the matter right there. You see, Ukraine cannot lose because Europe simply can't let it. It just can't. This is an attack on the European dream, an attack on the ideology. The political issues of course remain and act as a constraint, but Europe cannot let Ukraine fall. From the day Zelensky stayed and famously said the fight is here, I need ammunition, not a ride. I knew there was only one way. Europe would do the bare minimum to prevent UK falling and as Russia escalates, the minimum will escalate. Europe has been doing this escalating minimum from the start and will continue to do an escalating minimum to prevent Ukraine falling. Ukraine cannot fall, which means they cannot lose. Now this is possible because of NATO, and NATO is possible thanks to the might of the United States of America. So I actually want to take a moment here and say thank you. Thank you America for having the biggest stick and knowing the best way to negotiate for peace is to have the other person know that they do not want to fight you. Thank you always, and thank you for making yourself the bastion of global peace. From the days of the Soviets and, and the later dictators, they are afraid of your phenomenal might. So, seriously, thank you. Now, NATO was literally built for this, and I mean literally this. So you have the world's greatest military alliance built to fight Russia, behind Ukraine versus Russia. Now, negotiation is simply about finding the optimum solution based on how you can affect the other party, and how much you value the cost of that. This is what they can do, and the cost to them of doing it. Sometimes it's all positive, and that's called trade. And other times, not so much. So let's look at the negotiation positions. Ukraine would like NATO to join the war as active participants. Of course they do. Have you seen the NATO arsenal? This war would be over in a day. Ukraine would like military aid. War is often economics, and Ukraine rapidly is outmatched by Russia. However, <laughs> Russia is second-rate compared to most of Europe, never mind America. So NATO can outpace Russia, even by just handing over its old stock which is still way more advanced. Russia is correctly scared about NATO and so doesn't want to fight NATO, or have NATO's equipment given to the Ukraine. Now, Russia is prepared to flatten cities and it doesn't care for civilians. Now, in the following Europe, 
here think the EU and the UK as they're landing this. Europe doesn't want its cities flattened. Europe doesn't want Russia next to it. It doesn't want Russia hungry to take the old Soviet countries. Europe doesn't want to let civilians die in Ukraine. Europe doesn't want to fight in Ukraine. Europe wants gas and oil to keep flowing to prevent economic collapse. Finland doesn't want its cities flattened, but would happily kick Russia in the crotch. The US is actually watching the only other global superpower, China. It doesn't really care about Russia, as it isn't a threat. I mean, the US would like to swap Russia, and knows it can do so while facing Russia, and its main punching arm readied that way. So the US can actually defeat Russia with its one arm behind its back. But the US also doesn't want to fight in Ukraine. The US does want to support its military industry by buying new equipment. And the best way to get new equipment is to give away your old equipment and say you have a need. Now the military and the wealthy industry both want this. The military industry also wants battlefield testing of its systems so they can prove value and find ways to add more value. In fact, we can see this with the British analogs that are just golden. They are now famous. Now Russia normally likes to flatten the town with shells above ground and use chemical and biological weapons to flush people out from underground. As they don't hold the ground, flushing out people won't achieve much and might even trigger a NATO response. It's not worth the risk for Russia. Also, nobody wants nukes. Russia doesn't want a full NATO response, and NATO is ideologically against it. Also, why negotiate when it comes to the fact of finding common ground? You see, what Russia really wants is to basically completely wipe out Ukraine as a concept, make it part of Russia. I mean, everything they want is towards that direction, and that's the exact opposite of what Ukraine wants. So anything Russia actually offers is actually against Ukraine by definition. You know, if you think it logically through. Oh, Russia wants a ceasefire. Well, that, that's because they want to just restock on their shelves and then hit them harder. They want, they, they want Ukraine to stop shooting at them while they reload. I mean, just common sense. So anyway, how does this all shake out? Well, Russia is finding itself in a proxy war with NATO. You know, NATO isn't physically fighting. But Russia is fighting NATO's intelligence, surveillance systems, along with equipment. And if anything, Russia tries to shoot these things down, it will get flattened by these things as a minimum response from NATO. The UK gets superpowers, it can only dream of, but it still has to do the fighting itself. Russia is outmatched, and Europe will make sure it stays outmatched. Funding Ukrainians to fight the Russians is a lot better than fighting the Russians yourself. The escalating minimum of Europe, with US support, has consumed Russia. It has grown to a halt. Now, promises are worth nothing, especially from Russia. They only have... <laughs> Going into this, actually, all you need to know is the net present value of the next thing based on how people assess your previous, but I'm not going to bother going into that. So with Russia consumed by war, it can no longer declare war. It has no capacity. So any country that wants to join NATO cannot trigger an attack. And so Finland, no longer needing to worry about having cities flattened, can just join NATO. And it did. So where is this going next? And is it time to negotiate? Well, Russia is always welcome to leave. Ukraine might even stop shooting them as they go if they ask nicely. Ukraine can't lose militarily, and so has no need to try and save territory with a settlement. Putin can't lose either, from his perspective, or he's done. And game theory shows that if a returning general with an army thinks they're going to be scapegoated by a dictator, they need to kill the dictator to prevent that. Equally, the dictator's thinking that they need to kill the general. This is basically what game theory maps out. They can't trust each other not to try and kill each other, so they have to try and kill each other. Game theory is fun, right? So Ukraine is maintaining a massive war front, and taking Crimea will be relatively easy while hammering the capability of Russia. Also once taken, it is easily defended, freeing up masses of soldiers. From there, Ukraine can liberate the East. Putin likely won't survive, and might be traded to Europe for iPhones and Mercedes products. And if the central railroad hubs in Russia get taken out, you might even see a breakup of Russia. The European economy is going to boom like you've never seen it, as will Ukraine. And Europe is feeling guilty about not fighting, and will push to spread the dream via investment. The UK will hang on to European growth by its coattails, but will likely be too late for most things as usual. I would bet that Ukraine will join the EU, as it means a lot of cash. 
a lot of gash. Ukraine will get legacy stuff that's been confiscated. Germany, building companies will do well, as will Poland's. The US will be happy to have Russia removed from the big game, having wasted its power of residual Soviet strength. Ukraine will no doubt join NATO. And China will be enjoying the cheap oil from Russia, and won't care if it breaks up. It will be friendly with whoever controls that bit northeast of Mongolia where the oil is. It might even get to express its military might not in the direction of US-protected Taiwan, but in fact to the north. It might even take back those territories, the Manchurian territories, that were taken by the Russians way back over a hundred years ago. Having declared conquest, they might even calm down. And Ukraine will certainly be given all the things that were confiscated from Russia. I mean, there's just too much to pay, quite frankly. And they might even take a little bit of land. They might even take that little bit that sits in Europe. And there's an idea. So, if you think you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends. Spread the word. You can contact me on Mastodon. And if you want this to happen more often, please find me on Patreon, M1 Machine, and join the Philosopher's Club. Thank you. Goodbye.